morning. Welcome. It's good to be with you all this morning. If you are new or visiting this morning, welcome to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is our hope and our prayer that uh, you'll find that everything we do in our service, all the psalms and hymns we sing, all of our prayers, even the preaching of, our, of the word now, that we would be doing everything uh, to honor that great name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, if you would, uh, turn with me to Hosea. Uh, we'll be in Hosea chapter 10 this morning, as has been our uh, practice. As, uh, when Dennis is away, we have been looking and uh, going through the prophet of Hosea, and we're in chapter 10 uh, this morning. And in this chapter, uh, Hosea uses a lot of agricultural uh, themes and metaphors, and it's such a perfect uh, analogy uh, of the Christian life and of our life. Uh, You think of uh, the farmer who plants the seed. Uh, He plants a crop, uh, corn, beans, whatever it is. He plants it, but then he never sits back and thinks, I wonder what's going to (laughs) grow. What's going to come up after I've planted this seed? Well, no, of course, we we understand it's common sense that we reap what we sow. As we've heard from Galatians, as we read that earlier, it's the perfect analogy of this phenomenon in our spiritual lives, that we we reap what we sow. But how often do we not make that connection? We understand the connection in the natural world. We understand if we plant carrots, we're going to pull up carrots in a few months later. But in our lives, we sow seeds of sin, we sow seeds of temptation, of iniquity, we sow seeds of lust, or gossip, or laziness, or whatever it might be, and then we're still surprised when it comes time to harvest, and it's not all roses, it's not all good crop. Our passage in Hosea this morning gets right to the heart of the matter. If you remember, our summary verse for this entire section of Hosea, this section from chapters 4 through chapter 10 today, the summary verse, Hosea chapter 4, verse 1, there is no faithfulness, there is no steadfast love, and there is no knowledge of God in the land. That was the summary statement for Israel's current estate, their current predicament, their current sin. And we've looked at the lack of knowledge, we've looked at the lack of faithfulness in previous weeks. Well, today we're looking at the lack of steadfast love. As we'll read in just a moment, God's people were supposed to sow righteousness for themselves so that they would reap steadfast love. But instead we see that they have sown iniquity. They have sown sin. And because of that, they should not be, dis- uh, not be surprised at the destruction that's coming because they're only reaping what they have sown. Well, let me read this portion of Hosea now to us, uh, Hosea chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, and let's pray for God's blessing. But let me read. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. 
the Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. For now they will say, we have no king, for we do not fear the Lord. And a king, what could he do for us? They utter mere words. With empty oaths they make covenants. So judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf calf of Beth-Aven. Its people mourn for it, and so do its idolatrous priests. Those who rejoiced over it and over its glory, for it has departed from them. The thing itself shall be carried to Assyria as tribute to the great king. Ephraim shall be uh, put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. Samaria's king shall perish, like a twig on the face of the waters, the high places of Aven, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. From the days of Gibeah you have sinned, O Israel. There they have continued. Shall not the war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah? When I please, I will discipline them and nations uh, shall be gathered against them when they are bound up for their double iniquity. Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck, but I will put Ephraim to the yoke. Judah must plow, Jacob must harrow for himself. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed iniquity, you have reaped injustice, you have eaten the fruit of lies, because you have trusted in your own ways uh, and in the multitude of your warriors. Therefore the tumult of war shall arise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be destroyed. As Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel on the day of battle, mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus shall it be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great evil. At dawn the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, we praise you. Um, thank you for giving us your word. Um, thank you for sending your word through your prophets, your servants, and that you put these words to writing and that you preserve these words even today, centuries later, that we may benefit from them, that we may read them, study them, and learn from them. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would illuminate your scripture to us now this morning. Would we grow in knowledge and love and faithfulness to you? And may we do this all in the mighty name of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, like uh, most of the poetry in these prophetical books, as we, we study them, uh, Hosea is like, like his contemporaries, like the prophets. He moves back and forth between themes. Sometimes he draws circles around the main arguments. And so these are not the linear arguments that we find in Paul's letters. And so it can feel somewhat disorienting at times, and that's okay. And we're going to work our way through it and try to make sense of it. But also this morning, we're not going to be able to touch uh, every single verse and every single uh, thing that comes up and answer every single question. Now, that's not because they're unimportant, uh, but it's because in our short amount of time we have this morning, we want to focus on the main theme 
we want to look at the main point. What is Hosea and what is the Spirit through Hosea trying to tell us today? And it's the question of, what are we sowing? What will we reap? What does that mean for the Christian's life? And what part does God play in all of this? Those are the questions we want to ask, and those are the the answers we want to seek. And so as we look at our text now, as we look there, consider with me the main message that Hosea is stressing to the people of Israel here, and the main message that the Spirit is stressing to us. That main message, very straightforward, is you reap what you sow. It's that simple. God is not mocked, as we read from Galatians earlier. You will reap what you sow. And so the question is, what are you sowing? So this morning, I want us to go through this text again, looking at three different uh, questions. uh, First, we'll ask the question of, what are we sowing? And then second, ask the question, what will we reap? And then third, consider what it means that Hosea tells us that God brings the rain. So what we sow, what we reap, God's rain, those three things. So let's look at those. The first thing, what are we sowing? All throughout the book of Hosea, especially in this section, he's using many different agricultural metaphors, a lot of different illustrations from the natural world to describe Israel's current unfaithfulness. They should have been sowing righteousness and reaping steadfast love. We read that in uh, chapter 10, verse 12. But we know from chapter 4, verse 1, that there is no steadfast love in the land. And so the question is, why not? It's because they weren't sowing righteousness. They were sowing a different seed. Look back at chapter 10, verse 1. It says that Israel is a luxuriant vine, a vine that's yielding much fruit. This was Israel from the beginning. This was Israel when God first planted them in the land of promise and drove out all their enemies before them. This is uh, uh, what the, uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 44. He says, with your own hands you drove out the nations, but Israel you planted. And not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but it was your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. See, this is how God brought them into the land of Canaan and planted them there. He delighted in Israel. He won the victory for them as they crossed the Jordan to take possession of the land. It was he that drove out all the nations before them, But what did Israel do with this blessed uh, privilege of being God's chosen nation and being in covenant relationship with the Lord? Well, unfortunately, we read all through the Old Testament that they rejected the Lord and they, they sought after other gods. They built altars and high places to uh, worship idols. And we see that here in Hosea. The more his fruit, that's Israel, the more Israel's fruit increased, the more they grew in stature, they grew in wealth, they grew in power, the more his country improved. He says that the more altars they built, 
the more pillars, the more high places, the more places of idolatrous worship they created and improved, and their heart is false within them, and now they must bear their guilt. Jump down to verse 5. It says, The inhabitants of Samaria tremble. Well, remember, Samaria is both a city and a region. It was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel during this time. And so in this text, it serves as a representation of the entire group of, of people. So in other words, all of Israel. So why is all of Israel, why is Samaria, why is the capital of Israel trembling? It says because of the calf of Beth Aven. You see, it's because of idolatry. Israel has built altars, high places, pillars, not to worship Yahweh, not to worship their covenant God, but to worship idols. They were following in the footsteps of their ancestors, who immediately after their deliverance at the foot of Mount Sinai, they they built a golden calf to worship instead of the God that had delivered them from Egypt. Beth Aven is a play on words with with Bethel. Beth El is the house of God. But instead of being the house of God, it's become Beth Aven, a house of iniquity. They have sowed for themselves. They have sowed iniquity. They have sowed idolatry. They have sowed wickedness. And now they will reap what they sow. But before we get to the consequences, before we get to what it is that they will reap, we need to consider just how Israel got to this point. And we need to consider that maybe we're not so different from Israel. The people, uh, they were constructing these high places. They were doing all this construction and multiplying altars against the Lord's will, against his commands. How could they do this, we wonder? How could they get to a point where they've completely forgotten, even within a generation or two, forgotten the God that they profess to love and that their ancestors served? How did they reason amongst themselves in order to be able to do something so wicked in the sight of the Lord? Well, we see how they were able to do that in verse 3. Here's what they were saying to themselves, telling themselves. We have no king. We do not fear the Lord. And a king, what could a king do for us anyway? We don't need God. What need do we have for him anyway? If we're getting to the place where we're wondering about our need for the Lord, that is a dangerous place, is it not? If we have gotten to that place, we're sowing the seed of our own destruction. And how quickly can we be like the church in Israel within a generation, even forgetting the God that has provided us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, our Lord? It's just as the the Holy Spirit, uh, as he warns us in uh, the book of Proverbs, where it says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with only the food that is needful for me. Well, why not give us riches? Why not give us abundance? Why not give us an overabundance of anything that we could ever need. Well, it tells us, he says, lest I be full 
and deny you and say, who is the Lord? That's the danger. When we get to the point in our lives where we can say, what need do I have of the Lord? Maybe I don't need the Lord. And maybe it doesn't matter what I do. Maybe it's okay if I start sowing uh, all kinds of different seed. A wayward glance down the street, a lustful thought. Maybe it doesn't matter what my search history has on it. Maybe it doesn't matter really that I'm harboring anger or frustration toward a brother or a sister or a spouse or a friend. Does it really matter what I uh, look at on TV and the shows and the media that I consume? What are we sowing, church? That's the question. And maybe you haven't said this out loud the way Israel did, but maybe your actions are saying it. Maybe your actions are saying, I do not fear the Lord. What could he do for me anyway? What are you sowing? What are we sowing? Because what you sow, that is also what you will reap. Second point, what will we reap? Well, it's not rocket science. (laughs) It's very simple. God will not be mocked. Paul says the one who sows in his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so for ancient Israel, they sowed idolatry and they sowed iniquity. They sowed to the flesh and so they reaped the corruption and the destruction due their sin. Their idols that they valued so much uh, in verse 6, these idols that they had built, these calves that they had constructed, these will be carried to Assyria. It will be a tribute to the Assyrian king. So much for your golden idols, your golden calves. They matter nothing to you anymore. They didn't save you from this destruction. Verse 7, Samaria's king shall perish. It will be like a twig on the face of the waters. It will be like driftwood floating ashore on the banks of the James River. Maybe at one point it was a strong tree, but now it's worthless. It's broken. It's wasted away. Israel's high places of iniquity will be destroyed. And notice the wordplay. Israel has sown the seed of iniquity, and now those seeds have grown up to be thorns and thistles to cover their very own altars. And this destruction, this judgment that God will bring upon the people will be so severe that we see in verse 8, they shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. Now, if you're still with me, maybe you're saying to yourself, well, that sounds familiar. I think I've heard that one before. Our Lord himself, he quotes this on his way to the crucifixion. It'll be worth our time, if you would, just flip over with me uh, to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 26.
And as they led him, they led Jesus away. They seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of the women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves, O Jerusalem, because judgment is at hand. And here we find the fullest meaning of our passage in Hosea. What has been sown is going to be reaped. The iniquity that was sown will bear fruit of destruction upon those who have rejected God by rejecting God's Messiah, by rejecting God's very own Son, Jesus. For if this is what happens when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Well, what is it that's happening here? It's God's judgment. God's judgment is being poured out. And it's being poured out upon whom? It's upon the wood that is green. It's upon the green wood. It's upon Christ himself. That is the lesser to the greater argument that Jesus is making here. If the Father will not spare his own beloved Son, the green wood, how much more will this impenitent and sinful nation, this dry and dead wood, not be spared when his divine judgment comes? I, uh, I can't help but be reminded uh, from this passage, one of the uh, darkest uh, nights of the soul, I guess you could say, one of the darkest moments in, in my own Christian life. Uh, it was during my first year of seminary, no less, um, and I'm reminded of it because uh, this, was, uh, this passage of Luke was uh, one of my assignments. I was writing a paper on this very passage that we've just read. And I finished uh, the paper. Uh, it was the spring semester, so I was just finishing my first year, and I can still picture it in my head. I can picture myself there, sitting at this rickety old desk, <laughs> hitting submit on my computer. The final draft of this paper was done. That was my last piece of written work. I was done for the semester. It was over. It was time to celebrate. But after I closed my laptop, I looked over and saw my Bible open on my desk, this, this exact same Bible open to this passage, and it dawned on me that I had not once, that entire semester, I had not once opened this book just to read it for myself. I had not once opened it to spend time with the Lord, to read it devotionally, I had completely neglected my God. I've, I neglected his word. And there was such an urge in that moment, such a desire, I can remember just yelling to myself inwardly, saying, Levi, go grab that book and just read it. 
Just turn to a random page. Read something. Seek the Lord. Pray to him. Confess your neglect of his word. But I got angry. I realized I'd only ever used this book to use it for an assignment, for schoolwork. It was only work to me at that point. And I was upset. I was angry. And I just closed it. I turned the cover over, pushed it aside. And I walked out the room, off to do something else. I don't remember what. That wasn't the only area of sin in my life at that point. It was, it was a convergence of many different things. But I know in my heart, I know in that moment, that I was saying the same things that Israel was saying. What good is it? What could God do for me? What, what point is there in reading this? I was sowing the wrong seed that entire year. Or maybe better yet, I wasn't sowing any seed. I was letting the ground of my heart grow cold. I wasn't cultivating it. I wasn't, wasn't breaking up the fallow ground. And it took time. It was painful. And I'm thankful to God that he put the friends and he put the mentors and the church, the local church, so important. The local church and pastors in my life to help me break up the fallow ground of my heart that I had let grow so uncultivated and so cold. Because if not, I was sowing the seed that was putting me on the path of destruction. And the great irony was I had just written a paper. It's a pretty good paper. I read, I read through it, if I can say so. I read through it this week again. Articulated so well the proper exegesis of Luke's word or Jesus' words in Luke chapter 23 of the destruction that was coming for those who neglected him. And yet, the whole time I had been neglecting the one that I professed I loved. How much fire does it take to burn up green wood? If you have a fire that's hot enough to burn a lush and moisture filled, fresh wood, how quickly will that same fire just consume some dry stubble? You see the picture of God's divine wrath that's painted for us here. If God did not spare his own son, how would he spare me if I rejected his son? If you are sowing iniquity, if you are sowing those seeds, what will the harvest be? But the amazing truth of the gospel of the good news is that that message of judgment in Luke chapter 23, that's actually a message of hope for us. It's good news of the gospel that God did provide the green wood. He did not spare his own son from his fiery wrath, but he sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins. And in him, we now are righteous in God's sight. And that leads us to our last point then, that God, he provides the rain. We are called to sow for ourselves righteousness. We're called to reap steadfast love. But how can we do that? How are we able to do that, wretched sinners that we are? How could we ever sow a single righteous seed 
It is only because God has rained down righteousness upon us. Now, we are called to sow righteousness. This is a dynamic, the relationship between works and faith. That's such an important one. We talked about that in our Sunday school class this morning as well. But what we do in this life does matter. Our actions do matter. We, we must sow to the Spirit in order to reap eternal life, as Paul says. We must not grow weary of doing good, but we must bear one another's burdens. We must do good to everyone, especially those within the household of faith. But notice, Paul says that the eternal life that we reap, it is from the Spirit. We reap, or we sow to the Spirit, and we reap from the Spirit. We are acting, but God is the one who acts. We sow and we reap, but God is the one who provides the rain. Galatians 6 comes after Galatians 3. How did we receive the Spirit? How did you receive the Spirit, O Galatians? From works of the law or by hearing with faith? How are you justified? Christian, how are you justified? It is an act of whom? It's an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. How? By what means? By works of the law? No. By faith alone. So this work of tilling, this work of breaking up the fallow ground of our hearts, of sowing and of reaping, that remains our work to do, but we must always remember that this work we are called to do is on account of, because of, our union with Christ. As Pastor Dennis is always so faithful to remind us to be who you are. And so let's end with this, that it is time to seek the Lord, as, as Hosea says. Do the work of the Son and the daughter of God. Do that work in your life, breaking up the follow ground. We receive Christ by faith. We're made righteous in God's sight, and because of that, we're able now to live lives of gratitude, holy and pleasing to him. We are able to sow righteousness and reap steadfast love because God is the one whose love is steadfast and who has rained his steadfast love down upon us. And perhaps, perhaps, that's not true of you this morning. And so perhaps you have not given your life to Christ. And what I want to say is that this message is for you as well. That it is time for you to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. This is not a a promise of prosperity. This is not a, a promise that if you seek the Lord and you sow righteousness, if you do the works of faith, works of the law uh, in faith, that you will uh, receive and reap your best life now. This is not a promise of prosperity. It is a promise, however, that you'll reap eternal life, that you'll have life abundantly just like the seeds planted in the garden that grow up to be what they were planted to be. They don't change. They, they grow up to what they were created to be. We were created for a purpose. We were created to belong in relationship with our creator. That purpose, that relationship was lost in Adam's first sin, but immediately afterward, God pursued Adam 
He made promises to Adam and Eve that he would provide the offspring who would crush the serpent's head, who would undo the curse of sin. And over the subsequent years, God has provided many mediators that uh, would make relationship between a holy God and an unholy and a wicked people possible again. Abraham and Moses and through the Levitical priesthood, all of which pointed ahead to God's Son, the perfect mediator, the only mediator between God and man, his own Son, Jesus Christ. And so if you are still living in Adam, if you're still living in disobedience and sin, you will continue to reap the harvest of sin that was sown from the beginning. But if you are in Christ, you will reap eternal and abundant life because you can rest knowing that you have found the purpose for which you were created. And so that is the message for us today. It is time to seek the Lord. Come to Christ. Seek the Lord. Return to Him. Rest in His finished work. And sow righteousness that you might reap steadfast love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. As your word says elsewhere, you did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but you humbled yourself, took on the form of a servant, you took on flesh, you were obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Lord, we can never earn our salvation, we can never do a single thing to move one inch closer to you, but you've provided it all through your son. You've ransomed us, you've redeemed us through his precious blood. And Lord, now would we live a life of gratitude for all that you have done. Would we offer ourselves up as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. May we do this now, uh, today, and this week ahead. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.